0: to us at that point. We want them just to come and we're going to feed the bread of life and we believe there's going to be a point where they move from this chair, lost, I'm going to hell, I do not know Christ to being adopted into the family of God and they become a baby Christian, a brand new Christian. And then the only way to get out of this chair and to move into that chair is to serve lost people and to serve others. You do not become mature sitting in here. You do not become mature sitting in a Bible study. Too many churches have a messed up mentality. Every time I'm communicating, every time I prepare a sermon, when I'm sitting on the boat thinking about you, I'm thinking about the three chairs. And I'm thinking about how we can communicate better. Jesus told Peter in, in John 21, 18, feed my sheep. So the pastor's job is to lead and to feed. Those are my two highest priorities, to lead and to feed people. And the goal at New Life is to have a well-fed church. Well, how do you do that? We've got to offer a balanced diet. Every year we look at our overall church calendar and we figure out the type of things that, that you need to be balanced. If you look at our calendar, if you go back and listen to any of our sermons on iTunes, you'll see that we, we always do something about relationships. Because no matter how many times we talk about relationships, human beings just can't figure it out. We talk about parenting. We talk about money. We, we talk about spiritual growth. We did a series where we went through the book of James. You talk about feeding spiritually. James is like the gospel with blue jeans on. James is the one that's so practical. The half brother of Jesus. He's, he's the one that said, man, don't say you believe in Jesus and don't do anything. Faith without works is dead. So, James, we went through there and we tried to feed you. And every year we try to have this balanced diet because we believe as you grow, you're going to get up off your rear and you're going to do something. Otherwise, you will never be in the mature chair because you've got to serve in order to do that. Now, you would think that churches that are feed me, feed me, feed me, you would think that they are really mature and that they're reaching a lot of lost people. But is that your experience? Churches that are well fed spiritually and they've got something going on every night of the week. Are they reaching a lot of people who are far from God? Not what I've seen. Diet driven churches should be reaching a lot of people. But it seems like the folks that don't want to go to diet driven churches are hell bound people. Because I think that that what happens is is when you know, because the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. What that means is knowledge fills us up with pride. Well, I know more Bible than you. I can quote more scriptures than you. I can pray better than you. And and what's funny about that, it's not funny about that video we saw. I've heard a lot of people gossip in prayer groups. If you gonna bring my name up to gossip, don't even pretend you're going to pray for me. Because God's not going to hear that prayer. I don't want you praying if you're a gossiper. Don't pray for me. Mature people see that and they go, whoa, you know, the quickest way to shut up somebody who's gossiping, say something nice about the person that they're gossiping about. They're go, uh-uh. It's actually kind of fun, um, but don't do it with that attitude. Now, these diet driven churches become fat, these obese people. And, and what they what they want to do is they go high chair on you. And really, this isn't the high chair. This is the eye chair. People that think they're here in the mature chair, they'll start saying, oh, well, what I really need, I need more Bible study. And, and I don't know how many times we've been called Christianity light at our church. Listen to any of the sermon series. If you think we're light on sin, listen to some of the sermon series because we're not. Sit in. Well, you can't, <laughs> but you should sit in on some of the confrontations that we've had to deal with. Where we've had to go to people whose lives are mired in sin and talk to them. Where we've had people that have conflicts in the church and we have to sit down and deal with that. We do it all the time. You don't see that because that's not appropriate for you to see that. But we do it here in this room many times. Back there in the, in the crying baby's room. We have confrontation because love is, is telling people sometimes in the right spirit, you're messing up. But but diet driven people they'll say, "Oh, I need more. I need more. I I I I." And what they really want you to do? What they want the pastor to do, whose job is to lead and to feed? They want the pastor to completely turn his back on these people. They can go to hell for all I care. Now they wouldn't ever say that, but their actions imply it. Let those people go to hell. I need Bible study. I need my style of worship. And the temptation, and every pastor I know has this temptation. I talk to a lot of them. I've been in church work now for over 26 years. Every pastor I know wants to turn his back on these people and feed these folks. We will love people who are in the high chair, but I'm just, I'm declaring to you right now, you'll never run our church. We will love you and we will encourage you and we will pray for you. But you are not going to get any positions of leadership because you're an infant. And we don't let infants run the church. Even if the chair starts to fall. Spiritual maturity is not about me. Spiritual maturity is all about others. It's all about others. You see, Jesus had His followers many times. They would start to argue about who was greatest in the kingdom of God. And I'm sure the Son of God just shook His head and said, oh. And so what He'd say is, guys, guys, I know that's what you see around you. I know in politics. I know in in every other area of society, you try to get more and be higher and have more power. He said, but in the kingdom of God, it's not that way. And He said to them, The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He said, Guys, we live in an inverted kingdom. And if Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, if he served, do not claim to be his follower if you're not willing to serve. You are not following him if you're not serving. Now, if you've ever heard someone say, well, you know, a healthy church is full of mature Christians, they're clueless about the Bible. If you have somebody say, well, a healthy church should be just full of baby Christians, they're clueless about the Bible. A healthy church should be full of thirds because as the mature people push away and serve, we have children back there that get it and they come to Christ. We have children back there whose parents aren't even here today who are now in the kingdom of God because somebody loved them enough to tell them about Christ and feed them the bread of life. We have mature people who push back and they serve here. And they'll serve people. And by the way, we call new Christians baby Christians. That's not a derogatory term. Don't be upset that the Bible... It's just a statement of fact. If you have been far from God and never been adopted into God's family and then all of a sudden you come into God's family, you are a spiritual baby. It's okay. Do what babies do. Eat and you'll grow. Hellbounders become Christ followers are baby Christians and then they become mature, mature Christians as they push back and serve. Now, I've got to tell you about a potential problem in every church that I've been in that, that keeps churches from becoming this beautiful ecosystem called The Table. And the problem is in uh, chair number two. It's the baby Christian chair. When Janie and I were on our cruise, um, we never got that picture, did we? we uh, the last day of a cruise, we like to run around and take pictures because we want to show our kids stuff and tell them, well, here we did this and here we did this and here we did this. So we just take all kinds of pictures. Well, we went into our, uh, our dining room and it's a two-level dining room. We took some pictures. And at the very back of the ship, that's where our dining room was. So we've taken lots of pictures from the top deck, which is about 100 feet above the, the ocean uh, surface of the ocean. But this was kind of cool because at the back of the ship where we were in our dining room, it was 20 feet above the ocean. We like to take pictures of the contrail. And um, that's that baby Christian over wanting some attention. Um we, we like to take pictures of the contrail because this was the smoothest water I've ever been on. This is our fifth cruise we've been on, and we've been on those where you're walking down the hall, catching the walls, you know, because it's so bad. This one, it was like lake water. The, the biggest waves in the ocean on this trip we were generating from our, from our uh, engines. So we went to the back and we were taking pictures and we're showing them the contrail and showing the waves that are coming from our big old 110,000-ton ship. Well, as we went back there all these beautiful picture windows that you're looking out. I look over here in the corner, rows and rows of high chairs. And I just stopped and I went, holy cow. And I started thinking, what if every one of those high chairs had a crying baby in it at night in our beautiful dining room? (laughs) I mean, I love babies, I love kids, and I will love on your kids and I I love kids. I don't even take my kids on a cruise. And I got to thinking, oh, dude, what would it be like if every table, there's about a thousand people in the dining room. What if there are a thousand babies screaming during my chocolate melting cake? Oh, that's kind of it. Good job there in in short notice. That's a three-story one. We just had a two-story one. And the windows at the back, that's that's where we were looking out. So, got to thinking about this whole baby thing, and and I thought, wow, every church I've ever been in, including New Life, including our church of seven years, there's been a bottleneck right here at, at, at chair number two. And every pastor I know, the pastors I go to their conferences, they struggle with how do you move people out of the baby Christian chair, the new Christian chair, into the mature Christian? How do you do that? And, and the problem is, if you get too many people here, if you stack up 15 or 20 high chairs right here, it affects the whole ecosystem of your church. You're going to lose mature Christians because they're going to say, man, I just can't hang with all the babies you're going to have a bottleneck where lost people aren't even going to come, and there's nothing wrong with having baby Christians unless that's all you have. And uh, there comes a point where we got to grow up, where we got to sound the alarm. Can you imagine if Caleb was still in a high chair? He's 14, and we have a picture when we when he was a baby. He saw this picture laying around this morning. He goes, man, I was small. You got hair. That's just, I'm I, just like that. And I'm like, thank you, son, for noticing that I had hair when you were a baby. It's your fault that I have none now. Not really. Not really. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Janie's pregnant with Rachel there. And I didn't realize this. She was telling me just before service today that she, because she, with Caleb and with Rachel, Um, she puked for the first three months. I mean, she got up, threw up, put on this dress, and is sitting there going, please don't throw up, please don't throw up, please. And doesn't she look good? Jeff said, Janie looks the same. What happened to you? Friends, friends, friends. Now, wouldn't it be really weird if if Caleb at 14 was up here sitting in the high chair? It would be a little unnerving if I'm feeding him Baby food at 14. That's just... Somebody would be going, "Uh, duh, you got a problem? Right? It's no more unnerving than someone who calls themselves a Christ follower staying in the high chair their entire lives. I don't know why we think that... We don't even have deacons here. (laughs) But deacons in, in my previous churches, some of the... I'm not even trying to be nice. I'm just trying to think of the right words. Some of the most immature human beings I've ever known. We made them deacons. Does that make sense? Because the Scripture says deacons should be full of faith, full of wisdom. They should be the most mature people in your church. And I'm walking into deacons' meeting At one church, they finally voted not to have the staff come to deacons' meeting anymore because they couldn't get anything done because... Sometimes we'd hold up the Bible and we'd say, now, y'all want to do this, but God says this. We don't care what the Bible says. This way we've always done it in our church. And I'm going, I'm going, oh, God doesn't strike us dead. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Now, I want to sound the alarm today, and I want you to evaluate where you are. And, and I just got to tell you, we have a, Janie has a Facebook page, but we don't have any friends here in town. Um, because you want to talk to me, call me. You know where I live, come by. I mean, I, I, to me, we have had Facebook conflicts in our church. And and I just got to tell you this, and I know I'm getting old and I'm showing my age, and I don't care. I just don't care. But I also don't care what you're cooking for dinner tonight. You know, there's a commercial where they make fun of, of old people where they're texting, they're going, I am sitting on the patio. And the kid's going, Dad, I know you're on the patio. I know people in their 20s playing Mafia Wars. I don't care. So we only we only keep up with folks that are out of town, relatives and stuff like that, folks that are out of town, because we, we figure, can I just give you one little piece of advice and I'll get off of Facebook? Don't ever write something down that you don't want people to see. Don't post pictures that you don't want people to see. I mean, a a potential employer. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to look at your Facebook page to see if you're an idiot or not. And some of you are confirming it every day. Okay, I'm moving on. So I want you to, to evaluate where you are spiritually. And there's two things very quickly I want you to look at. Number one is, if you want to grow as a Christian, you've got to connect. First thing is, you've got to connect. You need to connect with God. You've got to connect with God's Word. In Deuteronomy, Moses, Big Mo was speaking, and Big, Moses, Big Mo says this. These words, God's actually speaking through him. These words should not be important, unimportant words for you. He's talking about the Bible, but rather they, were, they mean life for you. By these words, you will live a long time in the land you are crossing the Jordan River to take as your own. God's saying to the Israelites, you're about to go into the promised land. And if you'll follow my words, they're not idle words. These words are life to you. God says, I've got these great plans that you will never find apart from my word. Now, I want to know how many of you are going to go eat lunch after we finish church today? Let me see your hands. Okay, really? The rest of you are skipping lunch? Okay. How many of you that's the only meal you have every week is is Sunday lunch? No. Okay. So how many meals do you eat on average every week? Twenty one, okay. Twenty one plus. Now what if what if your physical diet were the same as your spiritual diet? Why do you think if you, if you eat 21 meals, if you've got to eat every day physically, why do you think you don't have to eat spiritually every day? You've got to connect with God every day through prayer and through His Word. It's not enough just to pray. I know a lot of people that say, I'm a prayer warrior. And I look at their life and I go, wow, you don't know jack about Scripture. So I'm glad you're praying, but I'm figuring out your prayers are probably me prayers. I need this, I need this, I need this. this. Instead of thank you, God, and I need to confess this, God, and this person over here, I need to pray for them. You've got to connect with God, and you've got to connect with other people. And by the way, you really need to hang out with some people that are more mature spiritually than you are sometimes. A bunch of baby Christians hanging out with a bunch of baby Christians. Yes, you can grow, but your growth is going to be very slow. You need to hang out with someone. who You become like the people you hang out with. Now, the second thing you need, if you're going to grow, is to give. Oh, I knew it. I knew it was coming. Well, I'm just going to repeat Jesus' words here, okay? Jesus' words. So if you're going to get mad, get mad at Jesus. Don't get mad at me. Jesus said, Matthew 6:21, Your heart will always be where your treasure is. That means wherever the money in your life flows, that's where your heart is going to go. Your affections will follow the money trail. When you begin to grow as a Christian, you'll discover that you don't own anything. You're just a manager. Did you know that? Now, if you're not a Christ follower, just tune me out for a second. You can listen, but you're not going to understand. If you're a Christ follower, you don't own Jack. Somebody going, yes, I do. I own my house. Okay, do this for me. If you think you own your house, stop paying taxes. Just do that for me and we'll find out how long you own that house. You have some building, you have some vehicle, you just stop paying taxes and, and let's see how long you own it. You don't own anything and neither do I. Everything has been given to us by the grace of God. Every single thing we have. That means every financial decision we make is a spiritual decision. Everyone. And Jesus tells us over and over again that one of the ways to tell if Jesus is number one is to look at your money. Where does the money go? If he's running the show, if he's driving the car, then there's going to be some money flowing towards what he established, which is the church. God blesses us so that we can be blessings to other people. God has gotten it to us. Now he wants us to get it to other people through the greatest thing out there, the only institution Jesus ever built, which is the local church. And speaking of blessings, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn over to Judges chapter 2. There's a guy named Joshua in the Bible. And I've talked a lot about Joshua because Joshua and Caleb were, were cool buddies. And, and Caleb is what I named my son because that's my favorite Old Testament character is, is Caleb. And Joshua was the leader. And Joshua got to come after Big Mo. Big Mo was going to die. He didn't get to go in the Promised Land, so they raised up Joshua. He becomes this great leader. And, and they go into the Promised Land, and one of the things that God does is He he dries up the Jordan River about 18 miles away, and, and all the Israelites cross through on dry ground, and the Israelites are going, wow, Big Mo, he was there. God used him to part the Red Sea, and now God used Joshua, and it says that they esteemed Joshua just as highly as they had Big Mo because God was doing stuff through Joshua. And so they're making all of these real estate deals God is telling telling them where this tribe goes up here and gets this piece of land and this tribe gets this. There were 12 different tribes. God divides it up. They're doing this whole real estate thing and everything's going and flowing for God's people in the promised land. But in Judges chapter 2, there's a verse that keeps me awake at night and I am not exaggerating. When I think about this verse, my heart aches. Judges 2.10. After a while, the people of Joshua's generation died. And the next generation did not know the Lord or any of the things He had done. My greatest fear is pouring my life into this church. Me dying and this church shriveling up and going away. It's the greatest fear I have. We cannot let the next generation fall away from Christ. Because Christianity is only one generation from being extinct. Right after Joshua, one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, the very next generation did not know God or the incredible things He'd done. Joshua's generation failed to mark, mentor, influence the next generation. They were in the blessed place. The Bible calls it the land flowing with milk and honey. They were blessed like no other generation before them. We're on the receiving end of the tangible and the intangible blessings of God. Woohoo! And they didn't mark and mentor the next generation. And you see, that's the call of the church. We have the opportunity to mark the next generation and bless and influence them. Well, how do we do it? Well, we've got to become generous. I want you just to think about this building for a second. There were a group of individuals, when we began praying about where to go, because we were in a rented facility for the first five years of our, our existence, we moved around different places, and every place we've gone, God has we've doubled in size as a congregation. And there were a group of people who said, we believe God wants us to purchase this land. And there's a group of people that have been giving extra, over and above their tithe, that goes straight to this building, because I believe God wants us to pay off the building in five years. And so there's a group of people that every month, and I know who they are, every month there's an extra hundred bucks that these people give that goes straight to the building. And because they said, man, we are going to give, we understand that the church, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right, and we're going to give and we're going to serve and we're going to be involved in something that lasts beyond our lifetime. Because if we don't, there's the chance that this generation will not hear. And that's unacceptable. So I want to thank those of you who, who have given sacrificially to new life. I want to thank you for, for investing in the next generation. Because the alternative is, if we sit here in our neutrality, if we sit here and, and pretend that things aren't bad out there, then we allow the evil one, the enemy of Christ Jesus Himself, we allow Him to come in and steal the next generation And it's not going to happen on my watch. And I believe that some of you understand that. Because, see, here's the deal Joshua, great leader, they're in the promised land. The next generation, the very next generation, they do not know the Lord or what he'd done. And then, by by, uh, Jeremiah 32, just a few chapters later, these same people who were supposed to know God, you know what they were doing? They were sacrificing their children to idols. Because one generation didn't mark, mentor, and influence the next generation. Within just a few years, they start putting up false gods and they start killing children. I cannot comprehend that. Sacrificing children to idols. Now, I'm not saying that that you all are sacrificing Children to idols. But then I am saying it. If God is not first place in your life, then you're teaching your children that what you believe is a lie. And instead of blessing and marking and influencing the next generation for Christ, you're teaching them that you're a fake and so is your religion. And they're smart they're going to figure out so is your God in your eyes. If if you're not serious about the bride of Christ, because nowhere in scriptures that talk about casually dating the bride of Christ. If you're not serious about the bride of Christ, then you're sacrificing your children on the altars of sports, of academics, of whatever it is that you're putting at the top of the list. You're sacrificing your children. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build your business. He didn't say, I'm going to build a hospital. He didn't say, I'm going to build some political organization or a 501c3 as recognized by the IRS. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we've got to wake up and smell the espresso and invest in the next generation. Now, very quickly, how many of you have a checkbook? If we could hire somebody to examine our checkbooks, you know, ghostwriters. They could write a story about our lives without ever talking to us. Just looking at the checkbook, they could say, wow, this person was interested in this, they were interested in this. My question to you is this, as we finish up. Would the story they write be a tragedy where the is looking at some of the stuff we spent money on going, man, what were they smoking? Sometimes, unfortunately, that's literally what it means. What were this, they... but? What were they thinking? What a waste! What a tragic life. Or would it be a comedy? <laughs> you spent that. You gave that to the church. Are you nuts? Because see, the Bible says God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful. Do you know what that word was in the original language? Hilarious. It's pronounced hilarious. Our stories, based on our checkbooks, should be comedies. Now, please understand, we started this church when there was nothing. We called some friends and said, hey, show up on a Saturday night. There were 22 people the first week and I think 15 the next week. We were going the wrong direction. And, and there were times the church could not pay us. And, and I'm not saying that every time you write out a tie check, which is 10%, that it's easy. There were times we looked at our checking account and said, ha, 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 That's a joke. And we wrote the check anyway. I'm not saying that it's hard. But I've never met someone who's, who's given, who's tithe for a long period of time, who said, you know, that tithing thing just doesn't work. I quit. I tried it for ten years and I quit. I've never met a person like that. But I've met lots of people who said, I should have, I would have, but I didn't. And I regret it. The only way to start investing in the next generation is to get busy now. We have two baskets at the back. One is our registration card basket. One is our joy basket. (laughs) Thank you. We didn't practice that, by the way. Now, if you're a guest, we never ask for your money. We expect our people, our church members to be hilarious givers. So that you can come. You can be in this chair for as long as you need to be in this chair. We will continue to have the doors open, pay the bills. So that you can come in here because we believe one day you're eating on that bread of life, you're feeding, and it's going to click, and you're going to say, I need a Savior. And we believe you're going to move into that chair. And then we believe as we keep feeding you and challenging you, you're going to move into the mature chair because a healthy church needs thirds.